This is Mystic Takeaway, dishing up extraordinary real-life stories to inspire wonder and nourish the soul. I'm Elisa Graff. My guest today is Stephen Robinson of Paraparaumu, New Zealand. He'll share a story of meeting a stranger in Berlin who helped him find his voice again. Good to have you with us. So Stephen, tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is uh, Stephen Robinson. I live in a place called Paraparumu, just north of Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, I also uh, am an early childhood teacher, kindergarten teacher. So I work with little kids under five years old. So that's a great experience and um, keeps you on your toes and keeps you young. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. I can imagine that. They keep you busy. How many kids do you have in your class? Uh, well, I'm, I do relieving now, so I can vary. We've got three rooms, and I, I sort of relieve in one centre, which has got about 100 children, but it's in, in different rooms, and um, room size can vary, 20 children um, down to 12 or 14, depending on how many come that day. Wow. And it's normally it's a good... Good ratio of teacher to children, so that's no great. Kidding. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I'm sure it must be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. No, it definitely can be, and I, and I think that the thing that I've found now, uh, I'm I'm sort of it's quite good now because now reach sixty five and can get the um, the super, which is a great help, and relieving also takes pressure off so that I can be more myself and not having to worry about doing profile books or updated with observations. So you can just spend time with the children and just relate and go on a one-to-one and then just, you know, teach and and learn to be in the moment as they are. Yes, yes. And I think that's a a great thing that it really does, you know, all you – all your problems, everything disappears because you're having to be in the now. Yeah, that's beautiful. Wow, what a great way to look at um, teaching, especially young children. They say, you know, children are best teachers, right? Yes, and the, yeah, definitely. They're definitely a mirror. So yeah. wherever you are, your space, or if you're not feeling so well or you're agitated or you're feeling nervous or you know, that reflects, they give that back to you. They can pick that up very quickly and, and then they relay that back to you. So then you know oh what's boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and yeah. I, th- I, I think their sense of humor is, is wonderful too. I mean, I think that uh, just the other day, just a, a funny a thing happened. There was two children and they'd come over and I was sort of, standing near the sand pit and one they were both standing there at the bottom and one and they'd been playing hide and seek together so one of the children said i'm going to count so cloak put his hands over his eyes and then counted one two three four looked to his left where his friend was and said i found you 
because the friend didn't know what he was supposed to do? No, or? no, that, that, that they'd been playing hide-and-seek and they'd just come there for a moment and he decided spontaneous that he was going to count. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> and, just say, uh. and just say, yeah. It <laughs> so was a quick the, game. The, the, yeah, yeah, and he, he, had a, he had a big smile on his face and um, oh, I think the friend cute. was sort of, Wondering what was going on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Very cute. Oh, that yeah. must be delightful. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine that. My daughter went to a Waldorf school, and kindergarten for a Waldorf school is like heaven. It's an incredible, hmm. incredible thing. I think it's. I think a lot of the parents of kids going to a Waldorf school probably love kindergarten as much as their kids do because just visiting it. It's a healing experience. It's incredible. All the things that um, we've forgotten about what life was like at that at that age. Um, yeah, and of course, in a sense, that's kind of what the spiritual journey is about. It's about recovering ourselves again to that state, uh, just as you said, uh, where we are always in the in the moment, right? And mm. so, yeah, it's beautiful. After I had done my training, I had um, deciding what charity I wanted to go into um, with the state, and so I spent spent a year um, volunteering in a, in a Waldorf kindergarten in, in Wellington, okay. and then I also spent time in uh, Montessori. So, um, right, yeah, that oh, they're was both a, that wonderful. Was an interesting they're experience. Both. Yeah, yeah, they're both amazing systems. I both my my kids went to both Montessori and Waldorf as well, at different phases of their education, and yeah, amazing, right? Just really fabulous. These two uh, visionaries, really Steiner and Montessori, they were visionary educators, and really could see the importance. In fact, in Steiner's case, his whole premise was um, that. A human being is incarnating over the first 21 years of, of their life. They're really right. a soul learning how to live in a vehicle, in a body. And, the, you know, the first seven years you're taking possession of your physical form. And the second seven years of life you're taking possession of your emotional. And then the last seven years of, of that 21-year cycle you're taking possession of your mental faculties. And so there's this unfolding going on, and the whole education is geared toward supporting that unfoldment in a very um, natural way. And so I, I just think it's brilliant. There's just so much. So they don't push anything, right? In a Waldorf kindergarten, you know, it's not about how fast can you learn the alphabet. It's something else entirely. It's about, you know, um, really connecting with the children and having them connect with this inner part of themselves and remaining in this sort of cocoon of the soul, really, in a sense, um, and supporting that. So it's not about, like, how fast can we teach these kids to learn to read? Wow, we're so impressed because they're five and they're already reading. It's really about there's always time for that later. And the processes involved at this point are different than the ones that when they're going to learn how to read. So there's no pushing the whole thing, and I, I think that's so important. Hmm. Montessori is a little different, but anyway, <laughs> I digress. Well, yeah. Well, I, I think too is you know as we are now beginning the the new age of Aquarius, and as we go through cycles of ages, 
and um, at the moment while we're going through such a difficult time is, is going from the Piscean Age to the Aquarian Age, and an age is normally 2,150 years, that in this coming New Age time that how the spiritual part of life will be recognised and um, that's how life will go, you know, whether all our different systems will be geared towards bringing the spiritual, the cooperation in. And I, I think it's going to be an amazing time for education where each one of us who is the soul, our education will be geared to what we need right. um, for that incarnation. So yeah. to think it'll be along spiritual terms, not just intellectual, but the whole right. being, you know, the physical, the mental, and the spiritual taken into account. Right. What a beautiful, what a beautiful vision. <laughs> I was wondering if you grew up with any religion in your household, did you? My parents weren't particularly religious. Uh, my mother had done yoga and had experimented with uh, vegetarianism for a while. And then um, round about sort of 11, 12, Myself and my brothers, I think my parents felt that maybe we needed to, to have a, a little bit of grounding in religion. So anyway, we would go off to uh, the Anglican church. So we'd go off to Sunday, um, Sunday school. And the thing that struck me, and I've sort of been thinking about this a little bit, the thing that struck me about it, and I think also my brothers, was that it was, it seemed so, we had the sermon and the priest coming out, and it, it seemed to be very, very dry. Um, there wasn't, didn't seem to be alive. It seemed to be lacking the spirit coming through, and it seemed quite negative at times. And then after a short time, my brothers and I decided, well, something's missing here. Uh, I think maybe we'll go over to we'll go to the playground. Maybe we'll get into connection with nature. Maybe that's more important for us. So we you just used to do that. Go off to the playground for an hour or so. Um, take our ties off, and have a few lollies, <laughs> and then after an hour or so, we'll go home. <laughs> and then eventually, eventually, my parents cotton on to the idea of uh, maybe they're not going, and maybe it's not what they need at the moment. So we didn't have to oh, go. That's anymore. awfully, that's awfully <laughs> open-minded of your parents, right? They weren't, they would, they didn't push you. That's a wonderful thing, right? Yes, yeah. Well, I think they had realised that if they had pushed us, we would have rebuilt. Yeah, yeah, um, that's wise. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but but talking about that, it's, um, about that age too. I was, I think, twelve or thirteen. I used to uh, go along and, and visit my cousins, and and they were going to the Catholic church, and sometimes we would go there, and yeah, that that was a bit off-putting too, with the sort of the idea of fear and and keeping people suppressed in the service. I did enjoy some of the singing. Yeah. Anyway, I remember this time. There was a picture of Jesus on um, down in one of the bedrooms. 
And I used to look at it and I used to um, think the idea of Jesus, what would that mean with the coming back? And I used to think about that quite a bit and realize, well, if he came back, would I accept and then would I go along with it? Now, um, my idea of the coming back of Jesus or the Christ, um, it didn't make sense to me that being at the end of the world. Ah, uh, okay. And so, yeah, so I used to think about that. And so anyway. Yeah, it does, it, it does sound really very hard to understand why it would be, why would he come back at the end of the world? <laughs> I mean, if he was, you know, meant to renew life, why would he bother coming back if life is going to end, right? So it, it really doesn't make any sense in a sense, right? Yes, and and also for a few. So that I used to think about that, and I thought, yes, yes, I would, whatever that meant. And also, too, when I was about nine or ten and, and going to school, I used to really enjoy going into the church on my way home when it was empty. And ah. to me, I, I I felt more of a presence when it was empty than sometimes when it was full. And um, I used to really enjoy going, just having a quiet time in, in a church or, yeah, w w whatever church it was. And then later on, maybe 17 or 18, I... I got interested in, in exploring the, the spiritual side of things. So I started but later with yoga. Then later I went to up to Auckland, which is about, say, on a good day, hitchhiking, maybe eight, ten hours away from Wellington. Oh, my gosh. And, and um, went along to see a Swami and then got to learn about the Bhagavad Gita and then just, doing bhajans and so that was my introduction um, into another another culture another spiritual aspect of of hinduism and then later i met some friends called john and bernice and then um yeah we built up a connection and i'd go and visit them when they had their bhajans and then later on, I got interested in a Theosophical Society. And then I heard about Madame Plavatsky, who, who was the founder of the Theosophical Society, who was in contact with what we call one of the Masters of Wisdom. And one of the Masters of Wisdom is someone who's gone ahead of us on the spiritual journey and through building up these experiences and has become a fully realized human being and their role now is to help us along that way so one of the masters um, inspired Madeleine Plavatsky to found the Theosophical Society so I went off on my journey to India I went to the oh. Theosophical Society and stayed in, in Adia and, and visited mm -hmm. the room where Madeleine Plavatsky wrote the secret doctrine and that was amazing. Wow. Yeah. And then went to go and visit uh, Krishnamurti, who was on the other side of the bridge. 
And Krishnamurti was a great spiritual teacher who was inspired by the masters and the head of the masters who was Maitreya. And um, Krishnamurti's teachings were those of Maitreya's teachings. And I think it took me a wee while to get into Krishnamurti because he twisted my, it made me, I sort of felt like I was upside down. <laughs> when I was reading what he was talking about because it was so different like he was saying the idea that we had to do the work that we had to work on ourselves so it was a little bit different than say the um, devotional side or what was what was the name of the Swami that you visited the Swami the was um, Abhayananda, and he was connected with Shivananda, who was a great spiritual teacher who lived in Rishikesh. And uh, originally that was my plan, was to go up to Rishikesh. Um, uh-huh. But but due to floods, they advised people not to come. So that um, opened up other doors and another another journey. So, uh-huh. yeah, so that, so that was a great experience to go to to Adia Theosophical Society um, and experience that, then to experience Krishnamurti, which I felt was more alive than the Theosophical Society is now. You know, I think it, yeah, it's very different. It doesn't have that energy, I think, that it would have had when Madame Plavatsky was there. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, and then also, yeah, I had the opportunity to visit another great spiritual teacher called Sai Baba. And um, wow. so this is around 1979, 1980. So that was, that was a great experience. So I wasn't quite sure what I was in for there. Um, I went along with a friend and um, I'd met in Nadia. And, and that was, um, that was an amazing experience. And I, um, I had this dream when we were staying at the ashram that I was a little bit unsure of Sai Baba. I, I think I was sort of like feeling my way in the spiritual and a lot of things were happening and uh, was turning my head a little bit upside down. <laughs> but I remember this <laughs> I remember this dream and I, I had been thinking about it before and I said, well, if you are this great spiritual guru, great spiritual teacher, give me a sign. And I remember in the dream, I prostrated in front of Sai Baba and my hands went right through his feet <laughs> like they weren't, they weren't there. And I thought, wow, that's... I think that's telling me. I think that's telling me something that maybe, no maybe yeah, the, the, the Sai Baba is not just flesh and bone. He's beyond flesh and bone. That that maybe he is a great avatar, a great spiritual divine teacher. Did you have any other experiences while you were at the ashram? Um, not really. All I can say was that. I noticed that the love that Sai Baba had, and particularly one experience was um, 
one time when we were walking and at that time there wasn't a lot of people so it was great you could get quite close anyway uh, Sai Baba was walking and his elephant his pet elephant came towards him and he was all excited the elephant was all excited and you could you could feel this amazing love coming between Sai Baba and the elephant. Wow. That Gita was, just, was her um, name, yeah. Her name yeah. is Gita. Yeah. Gita. Wow, that's beautiful. Mm. Yeah, and I think just uh, just being in the ashram, actually, just the the energy, you know, was yeah. just um, was just amazing. Yeah, I've been there too, actually, so I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's beautiful, mm. Mm. and then um, and then after that, I went back to New Zealand, and I mean, I'm still searching, and I haven't found really what I was looking for. Nothing. Just before I went back, I ended up going to Sri Lanka, and I studied Buddhism, Theravada oh. Buddhism, and um, so that was a good experience. And I had an um, amazing teacher in the in the Colombo the main city in Sri Lanka and he was like what they call a temple master um, or teacher not a, a monastery where most of the meditation and that happens but he he was a very amazing person and um, so loving and compassionate and I um, he sort of encouraged me to become a monk but then I, I didn't go through with it. It just, to me, it just didn't seem quite right. And I, to me, I didn't quite like the idea of you become a monk and then the idea is to become realized or find nirvana or self-realization. And then you're relying on, on people to look after you and, and just the restrictions of rules. And there was just something missing for me so I didn't go through with that but I enjoyed that experience and as I mentioned the person I had gone to visit Sai Baba with he was an American who lived in Sri Lanka and trained and become a monk so we oh, built okay. up a connection and then anyway I came back to New Zealand and still searching still looking and then I got involved a little bit with um, Yogananda, a great uh, spiritual um, avatar who, who lived in India and went to the US and wrote a book called um, uh, um, Autobiography of yeah, a Yogi. The, of a yeah. Yogi, yeah. Yes, and fabulous book. <laughs> yes, yeah. And that was an interesting, um, interesting experience. And then I also was thinking actually of going over to the ashram that they had in California in Malibu. Oh, right. It's a self-realization. Self-realization, yes. So there was a um, an ashram there and you could be trained. And um, I sort of got interested in that idea. I, I liked the, the teachings and the message that um, Yogananda had. But, yeah, there was just still something a little bit missing for me there. <laughs> And then later on, I got interested in, in Sufism and studied that. And then, uh, wow, you I, really made the rounds. <laughs> you got, <laughs> yeah. you got around. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, I, I was really searching, and, and everything I found there was bits and pieces that were wonderful, but there was something that was not complete for me, that there was yeah, something yeah. else I was searching for. And then I came over to the U.S. and, and, and stayed in Philadelphia in '85. Uh, I studied with a Sufi teacher who was originally from Sri Lanka. No so kidding. That, yeah. So that was an amazing experience and, and learning from him. And a lot of his teachings, even though he was, you know, you also had the five times prayer and started to learn a bit of Arabic, his his emphasis with his teachings, because he had spent such a long time of his life living in the jungle, was based on the jungle and talking about animals and the monkey mind that we have and racing all the time. So it was based on that. So that, that was a great experience. And then there, I also met up again with my friend Jim, who I met in India and went to Sri Lanka. He was at the ashram. He was living there. He had married now. And so we reconnected again. So that was, that was quite amazing. Uh, and then I, I spent a couple of years there and I enjoyed it, but still. And then that's also too where I realized that I really didn't have a qualification. I had done all, all sorts of jobs and it really had an interest in me, but then I'd realized, well, Maybe having a a career or having a profession could be useful. And then I'd been thinking about it, and then I it dawned on me just through looking after some young children. Why don't I become a teacher? And mm, nice. um, so when I came back to New Zealand, that's when I studied early childhood kindergarten. And when I came back in eighty seven. I came across and went up to see my friends, John and Bernice. And then they lit a bombshell out. They said, oh, do you know that the Christ is back in the world? <laughs> and I thought, wow, wow. It and feels I like thought, it came full hey, circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they told me about the Christ also being Maitreya, also being the Imam Mahdi, also being the Messiah, Krishna, a teacher for all the religions, but not just the religious, for the whole of humanity. And his role is to inspire us in this coming new age of Aquarius. And I thought, wow, am I, am I dreaming this? Is this real? So from my experiences, 12 years old, and then hearing that, I thought, oh, now, this is, this is a dream, you know, this is unreal. And I, I was on cloud nine for a while because <laughs> the purpose of this incarnation to me then started to make sense, you know. I see. That you. the mm. idea that maybe this is why I incarnated you know that so then I started getting involved with the work of the reappearance of Maitreya and and also later um, you know um, with Sheer International it's a group of volunteers um, spreading the word of of the 
back in the world of, of Maitreya and the spiritual hierarchy, the masters of wisdom for this coming age of Aquarius. So it all answered my questions and then they said, oh, it's going to be very, very soon. So this is 87, <laughs> 1987. And I thought, wow, wow. And I, I just, just blew me away. I just couldn't believe it. It was just so fantastic. And it was like, this is what I've been looking for in this life. This is the it resonated answer very to my search. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was. So, um, so that, so that was like an immediate recognition you had this feeling of, mm. aha, this was what I was looking for. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, so all, all so, this other, th oh, go I ahead. was just going to say, yeah, all this other study and searching was, it made sense then that it was like preparation for, right for this coming time and that having that little bit of grounding was was so useful important yeah. right background you had you then had a a, a bit a bigger picture of how everything mm. fits together in a sense right because everything does in the end fit together all of these religions are related all of these concepts have their place right yes yeah well it's i mean it's all come from the one source it's you know um, whatever name we like to use God or the, um, yeah you know that um, it, it, it's all related to where we are what nation we are whether we go through the the religious journey or we go through it in other ways but I think the the aspect of it to me is the the spiritual part that I think is important. That um, the religious side is maybe a step up to the mountain, but then once right. you're there, then there's there's the, the journey begins, you know, and there, there's other ways. So it's like a ladder, and um, but yet there's other fields too, whether it's the political field or the economic field. I think the idea is is service, you know, serving humanity, serving our yeah. hu our fellow human beings. It's, it's the why why we're here in the and uh, yeah. final outcome as we evolve. So, Stephen, I'm curious. You got started back in 1987. You know, you were introduced to this message about the Christ returning to the world, and it was said at that time it was going to be any day. It was going to be imminent. And uh, now we're 35, 40 years, almost well, 35 years later. And the question I have to you is what has sustained you? I mean, obviously, we started out by saying there is no time. <laughs> <laughs> but I sometimes ask my guests to explain why they believe or why they think it has taken so long at this point for Maitreya to be on the world stage, in a sense? Well, I think it's also to do with humanity. And I think it's been that maybe we haven't been ready um, for that situation. And I know Maitreya has talked about going to the edge of the Abyss before we will realize, and then I... 
So I think it's taken us a long time. And I think also, I think one problem has been the stranglehold of materialism and commercialization, mm -hmm. market forces. And what has um, come from that with selfishness and greed and the idea that the individual and this is the most important and, and what's in it for me, that the system that you know has been created through Thatcherism and Reaganism. And so I think that's got such a strong hold that it takes maybe it takes time for that to loosen up and and also too I think that maybe that we do Matre talks about going through a wilderness experience, and I think maybe we're going through that now and have been for a wee while for us to realize what is most important and for us to realize that maybe the answers are also within and that mm. there is a connection between the inner and the outer and that yeah. humanity is one. And when we begin to realize that, then we will see the change. And, and with that, the idea of sharing and cooperating, not competing. So, yeah, well, I'm curious what you think the wilderness experience is about. It's a disorienting experience, right? When things are not working and you're not sure you have any faith anymore in the systems, uh, the economic, the political. I, I suppose that's that's how I would look at the wilderness experience. Is that what you see too? Yeah, I, I've been wondering about that. I, I've been sort of um, questioning and asking what, what that means. And I had, had different theories over different times. But I, I sort of wonder now, yeah, as I see the breaking down of the old structures and thinking of um, – Pisces to make way mm -hmm. for the new of the Aquarius. Mm -hmm. And I think according to Saibaba, is it eight years that we now have been in the in the age of Aquarius? So it, it seems like maybe you having these two different energies with two different roles, like the age of Pisces role was for us to develop the ability to think as an individual so we've accomplished that, but yet, as we mentioned, that's gone into market forces and the idea with Aquarius, breaking that down and bringing the idea of equilibrium, the idea of sharing, cooperating, that humanity is one. Mm. Um, and now at this particular time, it seems like we're seeing more and more of the breaking down of the old with the politicians not having the answers and also with the critical stage now of the planet being in, you know, in dire straits that we really need to act fast yeah. um, before the damage we've done can't be reversed. So I, w yeah. I wonder now if that is also getting closer. And, and I um, came across something the other day and it talked about that now – and they called it the professional people, so um, now starting to suffer in the, in the present mm -hmm. system. So I think that now we're seeing more people that are going through a difficult time, mm -hmm. if that is getting closer, and that we are going through um, that wilderness experience now of, of seeing that 
the material aspect doesn't bring happiness. Yeah, that, that's that, a very good, yeah. You know, good that, point. Yeah. that having that um, inner connection brings more happiness than having all the possessions in the world, having great big, huge cars or houses. You know, then you have to protect it. Then you have to have security guards. Then you have to have big fences. And then right. you may be. And so yeah. many of these spiritual paths, they recommend simplicity, right? Oh, so many of mm. them say you, you're going to have an easier time. Um, you'll be happier without all the trappings, so-called trappings of success that we think we need in the cultures we were living in the West. Um, mm. We have this idea that we need a bigger, better car. I mean, we've been programmed to think that, right, by commercial forces, mm. by industries that need to sell us something all the time in order to continue to exist. So Benjamin Krem often said, Maitreya has said already, I'm already here, so there's nothing to worry about. I'm already in the world. He's just not on the world stage yet because he's got to find the right moment. Is, is that also how you see it? Yes, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think also going back to part of your your, your, your question further, I, I think the thing that has sustained me over this time is also doing different spiritual festivals, also telling people about the information. And I think that I have noticed with that how this energy within has come out. It's like it's been waiting with this information. And when I get a chance and able to pass it on and share it with others, it's like a one time it's like a huge release. But it's also I notice by the end of the day I'm on cloud nine. So I think that's sustainable. And also knowing that I think faith, I, I think that the more I read about what Maitreya, the masters say, Master DK, one of the masters, and others, they talk about, and Benjamin Krem, how important faith is. Mm. And if you don't have faith, then you don't have anything. So I think that what does sustain me, I mean, at times I look at the world and think, oh, Maitreya, it'd be wonderful if we had the day of decoration where you'd become before the world you know, and we have these wonderful experiences and then we choose what we want to do, carry on or build this new world. And then other times I just know, well, this is, it's going to change. It's, it's going to happen. You know, I, I just reading something today and Matreya was saying, you know, that it's all going to work out. It's all <laughs> going to work out fine. You know, we may get yes. very close to that edge, but it's yes. all going to work out that we we are going to prevail in the end with the help. Um, and I think also, too, I mean, I had a couple of experiences that I really didn't get confirmed and risen down and was planning to, and then, then Benjamin Krem passed away. And I remember a time... Um, my partner and I, Gunda, we were living in Germany and living in Berlin. And I was going through a really rough time. I was having difficulty learning Deutsch. And so <laughs> it was that was really difficult. And um, I was sort of asking for help and guidance. And then one day we went into a health shop 
called Bio Company, which sells organic products. And then I was talking to one of the um, workers there, one of the shop assistants, and there was a person beside me, and he seemed like he was jumping up and down like he's on a trampoline. <laughs> he, he wanted to talk to me, and I could just feel this energy. I thought, anyway, and we started talking, and he had long hair down to his shoulders. He said his name was Robert from um, Chile, and he was a yoga teacher, and then he got talking to me, and then I was telling him about how difficult I was finding it, and, and then not really having the opportunity to to spread the word or, or to pass on information about Maitreya because I was finding it difficult to, to communicate to try, communicate in Deutsch, in German. Mm-hmm. So he said, well, do it in English. Do it in your mother tongue, you know. He, he was sort of trying to uh, help me and say, well, you know, carry on with the lessons. And I was explaining, oh, Man, it was not easy. It was really, really difficult, and I was really trying, but I just couldn't get couldn't get it. <laughs> German and is not an easy language to learn. It's definitely very true. No, no, it's it's very different to English, isn't it? And the vowels, it is. And yeah, the, it is the whole language setup. Anyway, so he said, "Okay, we'll do it in English," and then that released this pressure within inside me from that moment, yeah. and then. I remember just before um, we parted ways, he sort of walked off in the shop and I was behind and I was thinking in my head, oh, where have you gone? Where have you gone? Where have you gone? (laughs) Next minute he reappeared again. (laughs) And I was trying and then, yeah, and then he just left. But I, I was just... For a few days, I had this great smile on my face. I was just so happy, you know. It's it come at the right time. I, I'm curious if you could just tell me real quickly, when you had this conversation with this person, how did they know that you wanted to talk about the Christ? Did you guys did you guys have a conversation about that, or did he just suddenly just tell you you should just speak in English? No, I, I talked about that because I thought he was someone extraordinary. You, know, you really thought he was somebody? Yeah, definitely. And then I talked about that. Um, I talked a little bit about Maitreya and I, and I said that, you know, it sort of bothered me that I really couldn't do anything. And, you know, did he have any suggestions or um, ideas? Because there was some recognition there. I, I knew that it was not just an ordinary person, you know. Yeah, right, um, right. And, and, yeah, it was just just how everything came together, how he just appeared. It just sort of like a, seemed to appear from nowhere, from behind us, you know. Um, yeah, and then I was yeah. talking, and like jumping up and down, like <laughs> he needed to talk and, and – um, <laughs> Yeah. He was mirroring you, actually. He was mirroring you because you were stuck yes. and you needed to talk. So he was mirroring you, right? He was. That's right. And he was answering my, my prayers, you know, my my, my yeah, questions yeah. That, that were going through my head. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think. I mean, his English, I'm just trying to think. He, did, he didn't have an accent. 
even though he came from South America. Yeah, that's uh, funny. Yeah, his English was perfect. Yeah. You know, um, and it, it just seemed strange that he come over South America from South America was teaching yoga. Oh, I, did, I just a, a lot of things just seemed strange. And then that time when I was going to follow him, and then he from sort of nowhere he reappeared again, <laughs> and just my thoughts he it, that my thoughts what I was thinking. It's like he spo- he spontaneously answered my thoughts by just being there again, you know, which gave me yeah. a big surprise because I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> right. You know, sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow, and nice. then, um, yeah. And then another uh, case was when Gunda and I were in England and uh, London when we'd gone to listen to Benjamin Krem speak about Maitreya and the Masters and Friends Place. We got off the tube and we were going to find another tube and we were sort of a bit lost and tired. And out of nowhere, this older woman appeared, a few missing teeth at the front there, um, and then told us about her problems and asked for money. But there was something about her and it's like she could read our minds and saying, you know, she could see that we were tired we weren't quite sure where we were going, so she led us where we needed to go to get the next tube, um, and that just and that just stuck in our minds too. Just there was something about her, and then later, while in London, I came across this extraordinary um, homeless person or person on the street who was sitting there with his dog outside a supermarket. And he was full of joy, this amazing smile. He was laughing and then started talking to him, and I felt myself being lifted up. And then I went into the supermarket and got some dog food for the dog. But uh, just the amazing presence of this person. And and then, then when we went to Copenhagen um, to visit Gunda's son Daniel, who was living there, we went to the library, the, the uh, public library there in Copenhagen, and we were sitting down, and and these this couple came sat next to us, and they said they'd come over from the Netherlands and they'd come to specially look at um, or see some sort of um, musical event. And it had got cancelled. And um, it seemed like they'd come all that way and it was cancelled. But they were, uh, they seemed jolly about that. It didn't seem to really matter to them that it had all been cancelled. And then we got talking and they were talking about what they were doing and, and that. And then what came from that was the, it was a man and a woman. And then the man said that. Wow, he looked around and he said, this is an amazing place. And there was a lot of young people there just texting, sort of having their music, you know, just chatting. And he said, behind those, and these were big thick walls, behind these walls are treasures. And he said that, yeah, he said, um, it's a shame that a lot of the young people are not 
interested in a lot of these treasures in this behind these walls. You're talking about in the library, the books, in the library, the books. Yes, the books and 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 there and. I've always had a fascination with books. As soon as I was able to read, it took me a while to 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 be able to read. And then I've always had a fascination with books and libraries, and yeah, that sort of really blew me away. And um, and just the presence about these two people, there was something something about them, you know. Yeah, yeah. And maybe they could have been a representative or. or or could have been Matreya, or could have been Jesus. But, um, yeah, we wrote it all down, but Ben had passed away before we got a chance to ask him. So, Yeah, I think that, that there are hallmark signs to uh, that many of my guests speak of when they talk about these experiences, and there's an energetic experience that one feels mm-hmm. that is kind of hard to put into words, but... Uh, it's a very inspiring experience, an inspiring feeling to be in the presence of one of these teachers, one of these masters. Mm. Yeah, would you say that? You just you just have this feeling of your heart was in, somehow moved by uh, these individuals, even if they they look like normal people. Yes, well, I think it changes you too. I mean, maybe it's subtly, but I I think you change from having this direct experience and um, also, you know, like in the, the case I was on cloud nine for a while, so I think that energy has that effect and I think that long term I think that there's things that happen within ourselves, I think, too. Yeah, yeah. Wow, this is wonderful. Thank you so much, Stephen, for sharing these stories. Do you have anything else you'd like to share with listeners? Um, well, yeah, just um, just one thing, yeah, too, that I've, I read a book called The Boy and the Brothers, and that, um, there's the experience of a boy who was, was quite a high initiate, who'd given himself service to, to be uh, a help for the masters in spreading their message. And in the book, it just shows you, and, and I think that it comes through, that just how practical, how human that Matreya and the Masters are and how they have such a wonderful sense of humor. Yes, and, um, I've read that book. Just some of the stories a, in the book, yeah. It's a great, it's a great book, yeah. I mean, yes. it's a true story. Uh, Maud, mm. Maud McCarthy and her husband, John Folds, he was a well-known composer in England, and Maud was uh, also a violinist, and they both played with the London Symphony Orchestra. You know, they were very well known uh, in their time. This was back at the time of World War One, right? It was actually very early in the yeah. century. Um, and um, uh, they they came into contact with this man who was, you know, he was a teen. I guess he was maybe 18 or 19 when they met him. Um, and they knew when they met him, there was something incredibly powerful and special about him. And they knew that he needed their care and protection. So they took him under their wing and uh, had him live with their family. They had children as well and were kind of a guide for him uh, in the real world, in the normal world, 
and he incredible things began to happen phenomenon that was just quite amazing and various teachers various masters would speak through him um, and give amazing lectures so they would have people come to their house to listen and uh, it's an amazing book I totally I love that book Mm. Yeah. In fact, mm. in fact, I can and, probably and put the PDF in the notes. The PDF is available usually online, um, so I think I may have I'll be able to put it in the notes. Yes, and I think also um, the the woman also became a swami when they when right. they traveled together. She was the India first the first woman. She was yes. the first woman to take the order of the swami to be um, given mm. swami ship. <laughs> In India. Yeah, and the story ends in India. Yeah, and she wrote another book called, uh, I can't remember now, but she wrote uh, The Mystics, book wasn't it? Towards the Mystics? The myst- towards the Mysteries, Towards the Mysteries, maybe. Mysteries. Swa- Swami Omananda is her name. Omananda, yeah. 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 And then there's, okay, there was also, um, was it um, Murdoch MacDonald Bain and his... Um, uh, Yoga of the Christ and uh, Himalayas, oh, uh, Beyond the Himalayas. Um, yeah, they, they, yeah, those they are were, also available as PDFs, I think. Yeah. I think they're floating around on the internet. Yeah. They're amazing stories as well because he was, yeah. he was actually a physician from South Africa, right? Yes, and then he, he got called to Tibet and then he right. met um, one of the masters and um, as well, or maybe a few of the masters, and just his experience of traveling through and teach, um, being taught in um, Tibet. I think was it a year where he was there, or was it less? Oh, anyway, yeah. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. But he had some amazing experiences there. Yeah, he did. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those are fabulous books. There's so many great books. Just as you said, I, I know what you mean. Um, these are like treasures, really, these books. And thankfully, there's there's Scribdy. Scribdy, I have an account with Scribdy, and you can find a lot of materials that are out of print, for example, that have been put up on Scribdy as PDFs, and they can be downloaded in many cases. So um, I'll see if I can... If I can attach those in my notes, uh, the links to those books. Mm. Oh, that that would be good, especially some of the ones that are out of print now. I'm sure people would be interested, wouldn't they? I mean, some of those are great, yeah. and I mean, you also have the Ben Benjamin Krems. I mean, I think anyone who's interested in knowing more about the story, I mean, I think a, a very good way to start would be go to to Benjamin Krenz because, and I think you can download some free books there, um, that has, the way he he writes is such a very simple and very easy way to understand. And I think it's, it's a great introduction to the whole story about Maitreya and the Masters and, and talking about the ageless wisdom and you know, from the past right up to now and why are we going through this time? And yeah, they're brilliant, brilliant books. Yeah, there are four free books available on Share International's website. And I'll put the link in the notes for that as well. Yeah, it was so wonderful to talk with you, Stephen. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your experiences. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Lisa. It's, it's been great too. And I think, it, as you said too, that 
um, preparing a little bit for for our little talk. Um, it's also brought up things too from the past that maybe that you had forgotten about and just I think it also has reconnected me at this time too with it and just just saying how blessed and how such a wonderful time to be around and to know this information you know I think we're we're, we're really being gifted and, and a great blessing to have that chance and opportunity you've been listening to mystic takeaway if you've enjoyed today's episode please consider subscribing and sharing it with others thanks for listening